so just really happy for you guys here. Sad for those that couldn't make it. Uh, but today, I'd just like to start us off with a little question. And I want a little participation. But uh, my first question to you guys is, um, when you guys were younger, maybe some of you guys are still young, and before you were married, or if you're not married, right, have you ever made a list of qualifications uh, that you want to see in your future spouse, right? Have you guys ever done that? Like, I never actually did it, but a lot of my friends, I remember talking about it, especially girls, really <laughs> talk about it. You know, I'm going to list off the things that I want to see in the guy, and then I'll make it easier, right? Now the dating apps are helping us out because you can put some of those qualifications in the dating apps, right? So um, any of you guys want to share any qualifications? And if your spouse is here and she doesn't meet the qualifications, don't say those. <laughs> don't say those, okay? So only the ones that your wife has if you're here. If you're single, that's any qualifications you guys want to share? Understanding. Understanding. Somebody who's understanding. Anybody else? I was going for a six-foot-four blonde. <laughs> that's not <laughs> Sorry, Josh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, we, we kind of have a picture of somebody that we want to marry, right? We kind of have a list of qualifications, right? And sometimes it is the six foot four. Sometimes it is the blonde. Sometimes it is that, you know. And, uh, and that's okay. <laughs> but um, today, you know, we're gonna we're gonna look at a man. Um, a, man, a man's life and that man met some qualifications that God had right God had some qualifications for this man and he met it we're gonna look at the story of David right and what we do is when we, when we read uh, the Old Testament we read that God sought a man after his own heart right and the man that he saw and the man that he found that was right after his own heart was David David was the second king of Israel. And before we go into uh, his story, we could first we could look into the first king of Israel. And so the first king of Israel, right? So Israel had no king. Who was their king? God. Right? They're God's people. And all the other nations out there, they had kings. Everybody had kings. And everybody they fought and they battled with, they had kings. So one day, Israel cries out to God. And they say, hey, we want to be like the other nations. Give us a king to rule over us. Give us a king to judge us. <sighs> kind of disappointed God because God's like, I'm your king. But since you want this, okay, I'll give you a king. So God gives them a king. The first king, anybody know who the first king was? Saul, right? So the first king is Saul. And Saul is picked for them based on their qualifications. We read about Saul, right? He stood a head higher than all the crowd. He was tall, like what Rochelle wanted in <laughs> Right? He might have been blonde. But you know, he was handsome. He looked good. And they thought, hey, that's the man that we could follow because he looks good. And if he looks good, he's gonna be a good king. Wrong. He had a pretty short reign. The Spirit of God was on him, you know, for like six chapters in Samuel, if you read this, right? From 1 Samuel 10 to like 16, right? Um, and then what happens is God says, well, you had your chance. You picked your king based on your own qualifications. Hey, I'm going to pick my own king, right? So he tells Samuel to go to Jesse. 
Jesse brings up all his sons and Samuel the prophet, he's like, oh, it must be that guy. He's tall. They loved tall people back then. I think we do too. Uh, and so he's like, and God's like, nope, that's not him. This son, that's not him. That's not him. And Samuel's like, whoa. Like, God's like, no, I'm not looking for these guys. I'm looking for somebody after my own heart. And so Jesse tells, hey, I do have a son. He's a shepherd boy. And he's out, you know, with the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him over here. And so then David comes over. God says, this is a man after my own heart. A man with a broken and contrite and humble heart. And he will be the next ruler. And so then, then what he does, he anoints him. And David becomes king. And then there's a bunch of stories about David. What's the most popular story? What's your favorite story about David? What's the story that probably everybody knows? David and Goliath, right? What a great story. I hear it all the time. I watch sports all the time and they go, this is a David and Goliath story. Right? The Apple Cup a lot of times. The Huskies are so much better than the Cougs. Oh, sometimes Goliath wins. Sometimes Goliath wins. Sometimes David wins. But people, sports analysts love that story. But, you know, we all know the David and Goliath story. Today we're going to talk about not the David and Goliath story. We're going to talk about a more maybe darker or more not the most famous or popular story about David. Something that was hard. And, uh, you know, today we're going to go into a different kind of story. So I want to share this. So, you know, so one spring season, David is in his palace. All the men went off to war. Right? And he stayed back. He should have probably been to war too, but he stayed back. He's on the roof of his palace. He's looking around and he sees a really pretty girl. And she's bathing. And she's really pretty. Right? And so his lust kicks in. He's like, wow, she's pretty. Her name is Bathsheba. She's beautiful. And he wants her and he's king, right? So he's like, hey, can you go bring her over here? You know, to his servants. They bring her over. She's married. Does that stop him? No. He goes in and he sleeps with her. He sleeps with her and he gets what he sends her off. Go. He, he accomplished his lust. His lust was there. He went into that. And uh, then Bathsheba comes back and says, Hey, I'm pregnant. And so then... Things get a little more harder. How do I hide this sin? So he says, oh, well, you know what? I'll bring her husband back from the war. And then he'll sleep with her. And then, you know, that'll be their baby. So he brings the husband back, Uriah, back from the war. But Uriah refuses to go in and be with his wife. He says he stands at the gate of the city. He says, I will not go into my home as my other men are fighting. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm an honorable man. And so David is like, damn, <laughs> that was hard. That didn't work. Okay, let's try something else. Murder. <laughs> oh, how can I do that? Well, hey, I'm going to go tell the generals to put Uriah in the worst part of the battle and then retreat and let him die. And if he dies, well, then it's not committing adultery anymore. Then I could, you know, then I could marry his wife. That will be more appropriate. That sounds good to me. Yeah, let's do it. So he kills Uriah. Right? He kills Uriah. So he's... Committed adultery, stole somebody's wife, committed murder, and he's living his life. Then Nathan comes to him. Nathan is a new prophet after Samuel. And Nathan comes to him, 
And Nathan tells him the story. Nathan says, hey, there's those two, there were two men in this small little town. One man, one of the guys, one of the men, he was really rich. He had many flocks, he had many sheep, he had many lambs. He was really well off. And there was the second man. The second man only had one little ewe lamb, only one. And that lamb, to his family, it was so close to him. He fed, he fed that lamb from his own hands. That lamb would sleep with his children. And that lamb to him was like a daughter, it says. And one day, a traveler came through the city. And the rich ruler, instead of killing one of his many sheep and lamb, he goes to the poor man and he kills his lamb. He kills something that was like a daughter to him. And as Nathan is sharing the story, David is enraged. You hearing the story, isn't that so evil? How could he? He gets enraged and David spits out, that man, the rich man should die. And the family should be repaid fourfold. And Nathan says, you are that man. You are that rich man. Wow. And then Nathan tells him, but God will not pass the judgment that you passed on yourself. He won't kill you. He'll spare you. With some punishments, the boy born, the son that is born to you will die. There will rise up in your family people that will come after you and you will be on the run. But I will spare you. And David writes this psalm. The psalm that we're going to focus in for the rest of our time. David writes Psalm 51. It's a beautiful psalm. When Justin asked me to preach on one of the psalms, this is, this is one of my favorite psalms. This is the one I, I uh, you know, I, I, with my Christian walk that I always go back to. And so he writes this psalm. So if you guys have your Bibles, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it out to you guys. Uh, so Psalm 51, right? To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear, the, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. 
hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The word of the Lord. That song always gets me. And so, as we focus in on this song, there's three main points that I want to talk about that I, I feel like David is trying to teach us as he writes this, or that we can learn. And uh, the first is that, is that David, at this point of writing the psalm, he understands his sin. Right? He understands his sin. He goes, I know my transgressions. It took him, Nathan, of course, to tell him the story for him to actually see it. But he knows, his, he knows what he did. Right? He, he, he says, my sin is ever before me. Some translations say, I think about it day and night. I think about my sin day and night. He understands his sin. He understands that he wronged God. Not only does he understand that he wronged God, I think this is kind of an interesting verse four. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now think about it. When I first read this, wait, David, but you also sinned against Uriah. You sinned against Uriah's mom and dad. You sinned against Bathsheba and her parents. You sinned against all of them. Wait, wait, what are you talking about? Not only did you say you once, you said you twice. You said against you. You only have I sinned. David realizes that the sin that he did is against God. And the definition of sin we read in 1 John uh, 3, 4, it says sin is lawlessness. Right? Lawlessness. So not obeying a law, breaking a law, right? And when we talk about laws and we look at laws, we know a lot about laws. Because this, we have a lot of laws here, right? We have, what well, we have federal laws, right? What other laws do we have? County laws. County laws, we have city laws, we have state laws. HOA laws. HOA laws. HOA, laws. <laughs> HOA anybody else? Could think we created one? Laws, laws, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, they're filled. Our whole life is filled with laws. And countries all have different laws. Right? But God also has a law. 
All of these laws, and if we even think about it, all of us live by a certain measure of rules. If you talk to any individual out there, people have their own principles. People have their own laws, right? And we, there has to be an ultimate law. Right? And we believe that God has an ultimate law, right? The Ten Commandments and beyond. The Old Testament. You guys want to read in Leviticus? Let's read them all right now. That's going to take way too long. But God has a law. And David understands that his sin was breaking God's law. His sin, murder, adultery, coveting, stealing, all it was against God. Not only that, he even goes further than that. Guess what? He understands the origin of his sin. In verse 5, what does he say? He goes, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not even saying, hey, I sinned when I was on the roof and I lusted. Because thou shalt not lust. No. When I was born, I was born in sin. And we believe that since the fall, since Adam and Eve sinned, that anybody born of Adam and Eve is born a sinner. That we are thoroughly sinful. And David understands that. It's the doctrine of total depravity. David understands that in the inner being of when he was even woven together in his mother's womb, that he was going to sin. He was going to come short of the qualifications and the law that God had for him. He understands that. And us believers, it is important for us to understand sin. It is important for us to understand total depravity. It is important to us to understand that we sin against God. We sin because that's our nature. And the reason that it's important when we understand total depravity, it helps with our relationships. It helps with our relationships with the people around us, and it helps us with our relationship with God. And I'll tell you two examples. How does it help with your relationship with your family, your friends? Well, let me start by this. So when I was, a, you know, when I first became a Christian, I was maybe 16, 17, 18, I had a best friend. I still have him. I still have him. He's still there. But I had a friend. That friend got into drugs, meth, heroin. He was married. His wife was hurting. His family was hurting. I was hurting. And I told myself, I can't believe him. We grew up in the church. We're better than that. We're better than that. How did he get there? I will never do that. I will never be like that. The more I start understanding my own sin, I'm not far away from being there. My sin can lead me there because I'm totally depraved. So that improved, that helped me love my friend, that helped me understand him. He's, I'm no better than him. My relationship with my dad, my dad and mom, they got divorced when I was 16, 17. It's what brings tears to my eyes. I was mad at my dad. He divorced, he cheated on my mom and he left. 
And then he left to, to Russia, and he was going to come back, and it was painful. And I asked him that I could share this story, and he said I could. Because the more I walked my Christian walk, I judged him first. I said, how can he, I, I'm, I will never be like my dad. I will never do that. How could he do that? With four kids, how could he do that? But the more and more I understand where David's at, I could do that. I, and I'm no better than my dad. My sinful nature could lead me there. I could be there. And then what does this do? It makes me love my dad. It makes me forgive my dad. It restores the relationship with my dad. So it's important for us. It's good for us. And a second thing that I was going to say and why it's good for us, right, is, is this our relationship with God, right? So I said the people example with my dad, my friend, but our relationship with God, right? Now we look at God and we understand how far away the chasm, how far away how big the break is between where we're at and where he's at. Because God made this qualification. He wrote a qualifications list and none of us met it. None of us met it. And the more we understand how much, how far away we were from meeting it, the more we understand how much he loves us. Those that have been forgiven much love much. It's not that we haven't been forgiven much. We all have been forgiven a lot. We have to see that. Because when we see that, we love God. We have a better relationship with God. We look at God as the one that did it all. So now, let's move on to the second point. So we talked about David understanding his sin. Us understanding our sin. My second point is that him understanding his sin... That leads David to repentance. And there's a lot of these words, right? So repentance. What do you guys think about repentance? What, what does it mean? Changing. Changing, right? Repentance, this is what I think about. This is what I learned when I first became Christian. You're walking this way, 180 degree turn. You're walking that way, turn, repent, right? An action. You're turning over, right? Do you want to say something? Okay, no, I thought I thought you should want to say something. But uh, amen, amen. Okay, so repentance, right? It's to turn to do something, right? So let's read in these psalms how David repents. What does David do? What are the actions he take to turn around and go the right way? So his repentance, verse seven: Purge me with hyssop. That's like. Priests would have hyssop, they would dip it in blood, and they would clean things out. He's like, purge me with hyssop, clean me out. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Right? White, what's the opposite of white? Black. Black. So he's saying, hey, I'm dark. I'm in this darkness. Wash me. Right? Make me the opposite 180 degree turn from white to white, from black to white. Okay? Let me hear joy and gladness. So he's not hearing joy and gladness, whatever the opposite of that. He's like, restore me to joy. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Verse 10. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Some translations say renew a right spirit. He's saying, hey, help me do right. When I'm asking you guys, what did he do? So far, he's asking God to do a work in him. Because he can't do it himself. Right? Verse um, 11, cast me not away from your presence. Right? Don't walk away from me. I know I haven't met your qualifications. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? This, we read that Sam, uh, Samuel, when he anointed David, the Spirit came on him. He became king. He's basically saying, hey, keep me as the king. Keep my ministry. I'm the king of Israel. Can I please stay the king? I know I killed somebody, and I know I committed adultery and all this stuff, but hey, can I still be king? But can you please keep me there? And then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. In this repentance, David is not taking actions. He actually, he even says, hey, he says, sacrifices you will not desire. I would do it. I got all this big flock. I'm a king. I rule all this. I could sacrifice thousands of bulls. Right? Because in the Old Testament, when they sinned, what did they do? They sacrificed for the forgiveness of their sins. And he goes, hey, I could do all this stuff. But he's like, no. The only thing that you will accept is what? A broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart. That is the only thing that God will accept from us. That is the only thing that God accepted from David. David came broken. David came contrite. He came humble. He understood his sin. And then repentance happened. Not him doing anything. God did the work in his heart. And he made him whiter than snow. And he gave him a new heart. And he kept his ministry and he turned the 180 degrees because God did the work in him. I can't stress this point enough. We tried to earn our salvation. I tried to earn my salvation. We grew up, we grew up in a world that we, we are taught that we earn everything. We deserve what we deserve based on how hard we work. Right? That's the world that we're trained up as as kids. If my daughter misbehaves, what do I do? I spank her. But God is bringing a new kingdom? What is this? God changes us. When we try to change ourselves, we belittle God. And we know that God is just to change us. He's just to forgive us. We know that. Why is God just to forgive us? Because of His Son, right? If God is just, He should punish David. Probably even maybe kill him, right? If God is just, He should always punish sin. Well, He did punish sin. He punished sin. He punished His own Son on the cross. And because of that, God the Father is just to forgive us. And it's beautiful in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, 21, you know what it says, what the Son does to us? When we come to the Son with nothing but our broken hearts, 
This is one of my favorite verses. He comes, right? So we come to God with what? With works? No, with, the, with just a broken heart. And what does he do? It says that the son, that Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he presents you holy. He presents you blameless. He presents you above reproach. Now try to say this to yourself. Tim, you are holy. Tim, you are blameless. Tim, you are above reproach. And Jesus says that to the Father. Galen, you are holy. You are above reproach. You are blameless. Because of Jesus. And all you do is you come with a broken heart. And you keep coming back with a broken heart. Not only once, not only twice, but every day. Repentance is a daily practice. God's prayer. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Daily. Right? All the churches, all the churches got a letter in the New Testament, right? They all had sins. We all have sins. We must make it a practice in reading this psalm. It reminds me that I need to focus more on coming to Jesus with a broken heart. I told you guys there was three points. We're going to the last one right now. I know, we're almost out. Yep, we're good. We're good. So, understanding our sin leads us to brokenness. Leads us to God changing us to repentance. And then there is beautiful, beautiful restoration. How do things look like when we come with a broken heart and God changes us? How do things look? Well, it's pretty beautiful, I tell you guys. Verse 8, verse 12. And this is, this is why this was my favorite psalm. Because when I wasn't happy with my life and what was going on, this is what my prayer would always be. Restore my joy. Restore the joy in, your, in this your salvation. Restore it. I'm not happy. God restores us to joy. I don't know if you guys ever heard of John Piper, but he believes in Christian hedonism. He believes that like, when we're Christians, we magnify God the most when we're living in joy. And we're in joy because of God. Yeah. And so be restored to this joy. What else is he being restored to? He's being restored to his ministry, right? Do not take this Holy Spirit from me. Let me still be the pastor. Imagine if like Justin went and did all that stuff that David did. Disqualify. <laughs> right? And rightfully so. Any pastor go do that. Commit murder and go sleep with someone. Oh my goodness. I'm, I can't even list them all. A lot of sense, right? But David is like, hey, let me be king. Let me be in my, let me be in my ministry. And he's restored to his ministry. He continues to be king. What else is he restored to? And this is one of my favorite things I kind of noticed new is... Um, He's restored to tell transgressors his ways, right? He says in verse 13, he goes, when you forgive me, then, right? After all this, after the broken heart and forgiveness, repentance, what is he going to say? I will tell transgressors your, way, your ways. Oh, sinners are going to come back to you. Why? Because they're going to see how low and how in sin I was and what you brought me out of. We aren't there to be restored to show people how perfect our life is. 
that we drink Starbucks at 9.30 at 10 o'clock, we're at church, and then we go have lunch and everything's perfect. That's not the story. The story is that we were in the shallowest and deepest parts of the sea, and God rescued us. And that makes God great. And then when we see that, all we can do is run to tell other people to get out of the depths of the sea. Because we were there. And we start with that. We tell them where we were. We don't tell them our perfect life. We tell them our, where we were in the sea where they are. And how we got out of the sea. And how it's Jesus. We will be the big, best missionaries. We will be the best evangelists. Right? And then, and then what? He says, restore. He said, open up my lips. Like his lips... You know, when you're living in sin, it's hard to go praise and, and, and live for God. He goes, hey, open up my lips so I can praise you, so I can sing of your righteousness. Right? He says, so we are restored to praise and to glorify God with our mouth. Right? And then later on he says, well, the works weren't there to get me repentance. But guess what? And then after that, well, I'm probably, I'm going to do sacrifice. I'm probably going to do the right works. I'm the works, so you're restored to good works after that too. Works aren't bad. They're good, but they're a result of a broken and contrite repentance in front of a holy and just God. God wants to have a relationship with every one of us. Just like maybe some of you made lists of the relationships you want to have with the future spouse, maybe with the future friend, God also made a list. And he wanted people to be holy. And he wanted people to be above reproach. And he wanted people to follow his laws. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't. But we couldn't. But he still wanted a relationship with us. So he had to send his one and begotten son that he would die for us, that he could punish sin once and for all, that now a right standing with God does not come with us following the law, but it comes by believing in Jesus Christ and his burial, resurrection, and his death. When we believe in that, that the punishment has been paid, then God says, I will have a relationship with you. And Jesus stands in front of the Father and he tells you that you are perfect because of what Jesus did. You know, as we go to communion, you could be at different places in your life. But if you realize you have sin, I do. First of these sinners. If you look at Paul and his letters, how he wrote them, at first he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he says, I'm the least of all disciples. Then he goes, I'm the least of all sinners. He realizes his sin. He realizes he's more and more sinful the more he walks his Christian path. Let's go to the cross. Let's go take communion. Let's look at Jesus' body that was broken for us and the, and, the, and the blood that was shed for us and the wine. Let's go to him. Let's come with broken hearts so that he can restore us.